The new High Fidelity TV show has inspired us to make a top five list. Let's begin with the top five TV shows we'd rather be watching than High Fidelity. We're also going to stamp our passports and head to Letterkenny. I've been to the future, where I saw the new Harrison Ford movie with a CGI dog, Call of the Wild. And while I was there, I also saw the Amazon 1970s era Nazi hunting show, Hunters. Oh, and there's a new Netflix TV show called Lock and Key. Are you the key master or the gatekeeper? Only Zool knows for sure. Folks, this is Always Be Watching. More coming up after the song. Hey Chris, this is an Always Be Watching podcast. My name's Dan, your name's Chris. It's nice to be here, Dan. I'm feeling very chipper this morning, as are you. Uh, look, this is is this the earliest we've always been watching? <laughs> yes, it is, and it's on Monday. It's a terrible time to do this, really. But let's, let's hope it goes all right. I try not to tell people we record on a Monday so early in the week, because when the podcast then drops on a Thursday yeah, or Friday, yeah. it's like, what's Dan been doing what with What have you even been doing with your life? But you're a busy man. Everyone's busy. We've yeah. all, we're all busy. No, no one's- corporate high flyer. <laughs> That's right. High fidelity, hey? Oof. Yeah. Uh, well, shall we just... Okay, first of all, the podcast. Yeah, do it. It's always Sorry. someone's first podcast. So, the standard logline we use is, this is a very casual, conversational-based podcast. Myself, Chris, we've talked for years about the shows that we watch and what it is that we like about shows, and we sort of recommend things and say, you know what, it's kind of interesting, but maybe you won't dig it, I'm not too sure. It's the casual conversations we all have in real life, talking about telly. And we brought that magic, <laughs> the majesty of what we do. With beers on our hands, two microphones. Yeah. Uh, would be good to have a beer at this time on a Monday morning. Might shake out some of the uh, Sunday uh, afternoon. Okay. If, if we're going to talk about the idea of having beers on the podcast, let's do it properly. Let's set up proper recording studios in our respective showers. We don't have to be in the same showers. But we can have, you know... Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. Yeah. Shower beer recording podcast. Oh, God. I just... I can't even imagine life getting better than that. Oh, pop a TV in there as well. <laughs> and then you're good. Do you have a TV in your shower? I'm not yet. that about you. Not yet. There's got to be a way, surely, in oh, today's look, day and age. Technologically, it's not the problem. <laughs> it's the fact I'm renting a house and also the awkward conversation with a wife. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Uh, although, um, I think no. she'd actually be cool with that. Oh, yeah, who, wouldn't, who would have a problem with that? Nobody. Yeah. Uh, I used to have a radio in my shower. That was pretty good. Yeah, I've always wanted to get some sort of like podcast speaker happening. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, so uh, I've watched some TV shows this week, and well, you have as well. Yeah. So I'm actually going to sneakily squeeze in like a third thing this week, so I'm going to keep things tight where I can. Okay. But Chris Yates, do you want to kick things off? Well, Dan, one of the things I have been doing this week in my viewing habits is that I have finally come to the party very late uh, that is known as Letterkenny. Hey, I heard about your breakup, buddy. She was a sweetie for, what, uh, five years, right? Oh, uh, you're a uh, high school sweetie, right? What's it to you? Heard she cheated on you, buddy. That's a real kick in the knackers, bro. Just a real ouchie, bro. It's too bad she taught you not to fight anymore, buddy. Because that's a fight on sight for you and her new guy, buddy. Fourth life for life, bro. Maybe if you'd ever been in a real fight, you might not be so keen for another. What'd you say? You heard me. <laughs> Almost better. Tarts off, boys. <laughs> You looking for a Tilly, buddy? Let's have a Donnybrook! Pump the brakes. You take your shirt off, but leave your sunglasses on. What sort of backwards fucking pageantry is that? Okay, Chris, Letterkenny, I'm very familiar with because my wife is obsessed with this TV show to the point where in my house right now there is a signed photograph of the cast of Letterkenny. (laughs) 
which Ooh. has made its way out of the bedroom, is now proudly displayed <laughs> in the lounge room area. That's fantastic. Uh, I highly endorse this decision on behalf of um, your spouse to present more Letterkenny into your life. Yeah, so how much have you actually seen of it? So I've seen maybe the first episode, and I've seen scattered scenes <laughs> after that. I'll admit, I'm not really into it, which is weird, because it's actually kind of the sort of thing that I think I would be usually into, but it just hasn't quite grabbed me. All right, so... And it could just be that I haven't, like, just had that moment where suddenly it made sense for me, but, like, it just hasn't hasn't worked. Yeah, uh, I don't know how much sense you're going to make out of this show. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not a complicated <laughs> show by any means. No, no, I know what you say, but, but it just I, hasn't clicked I for you. I think because it's such a specific sort of tone of comedy. It is, That yes. I think if you just have that moment where it's like, oh, wait, this is just effing amazing, then suddenly I think the show works for you, but I haven't had that moment. I feel like that happened pretty early on for me. I'm only two episodes in, um, as I am with most of the shows I talk about on here. But, uh, look, it was... I, I, I got... I'm drawn into it from seeing some memes on people's pages that I didn't know what they meant, and as the curiosity got the better of me, this character looked interesting. This show's blowing up right now. Is like, it? What's what's causing that to happen? I don't know, but it's like seven seasons in. Yeah, eight, eight, eight seasons. Eighth has aired, and the ninth is allegedly okay. going to air soon. So I'm a bit behind. Okay, so nine seasons, which again, the wife has seen all of that. <laughs> yes. However, uh, like it just seems like the last like maybe four or five months, it just seems to have exploded everywhere. Yeah. In Australia, we've just gotten it for the first time, I believe. I don't know if it's been anywhere previously, but SBS have picked it up for SBS yeah. Iceland. And I was talking to the channel manager there, and he was saying that like it's kind of blowing up viewer wise. Like it's yeah, it's found an audience and it's growing consistently. Well, I saw yes, like I saw some really funny memes, and then I was like, you know, do I care? And then eventually, I saw a conversation with some of my uh, mutual friends on Facebook going like, yes, you have got to check this out. And the person who was saying (laughs) that, I was like, oh well, there's not usually a bad recommendation there. So this is like a vicarious recommendation. It isn't even somebody that's told it to me. I've just like <laughs> eyeballed it on somebody else's page. Um, so but it, what is it about? Okay, so there's an amazing little uh, official synopsis, which is the thing that flashes up on the first episode of uh, Lady Kenny, which says, the residents, <laughs> the, residents. <laughs> the, the, the residents of Lady Kenny belong to one of three groups, Hicks, Skids, and Hockey Players. These, the three groups are constantly feuding with each other over seeming, seemingly trivial matters, often ending with someone getting that ass kicked and that's pretty much it so it yes there's four main characters um including uh kiso what's his uh jared kiso as wayne who is the toughest man in letter kenny um wayne's sister his uh childhood friend and uh a big dude with a beard and they are like the uh the four seinfeld main characters of the show who um are dealing with uh living in Letterkenny, a place that they really clearly love which is in canada i don't know exactly where and um basically just the inconsequential stupid things that happen to them over the course of their day is very very funny yeah a lot of it kind of like seinfeld is about the conversations rather than any actual action taking place and the conversations and dialogue are uniquely not only Canadian, but I would have to, I guess, very <laughs> unique to whatever district this is or whatever part of the country this is because they're just so... It's so funny. And I guess there's a there's a rhythm to it that's, like, very, very different to anything I've heard before. Maybe, like, you know, the obvious, comp- uh, the obvious comparison of sort of Trailer Park Boys. It really feels like a grown-up kind of, like, sophisticated 
Trailer Park Boys to kind some degree. Of, I sort of thought about it being Trailer Park Boys meets King of the Hill. Yeah, that's very good as well. Um, but you know, it's told a lot more. Uh, it, it's it's not as it's not as as much like a documentary. There is a little bit of talking to camera kind of stuff, but that's just really Kiso talking about um, Letterkenny and explaining little bits of it. It's not really done in a faux documentary style. Sort of a bit more like Ferris Bueller style, <laughs> a little bit yeah. breaking the breaking the fourth wall, or like the movie High Fidelity. <laughs> but we'll get to that. We'll in get to sure. that. Um, so my favorite thing about uh, well, no, the f- second episode is so funny. The best thing is. Um, Kiso has been away. Uh, Wayne has been away from. Uh, he's been a bit of a uh, hermit since he uh, broke up with his partner. So it starts. The series starts with, um, you know, the, the entire show starts with him in the in the wake of this relationship, which has obviously had a big impact on him. He stopped fighting, which is a big concern to his friends and sister, <laughs> who are very disappointed in him because that's what he does best, and that's what keeps Letterkenny running smoothly is his fighting. So they're um, doing their best to actively encourage him to get back fighting again. And it's not until he learns that um, there's at least three other contenders that have put, all put up their hand to be the toughest man in uh, Letterkenny that he's decided, all right, it's time to re- retake his crown. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think it's episode two is the fights between, um, I can't remember what they're called, Rap Boy... Um, joint joint boy, <laughs> rat man, joint boy, and someone else. Who it couldn't matter less. <laughs> <laughs> who are the uh, contenders for toughest man? And it's all done, and the fighting is all done very fair and square. Um, there's a handshake at the end usually, and there's a, <laughs> a, an, an acknowledgement that yes, once again, Wayne is the toughest man in Letterkenny. Well, they're um, Canadian, so it's going to be very polite. <laughs> it's very extremely polite. It's very very funny. I I can only see myself getting very sucked into it after two episodes. In fact, I was um, you know, doing my always be watching homework where I had another show to watch as well, which we'll talk about soon, and I was kind of cursing the fact that I had to stop watching Letterkenny to watch this other show in order to talk about it and make it on time, um, which turned out to not be such a bad thing anyway. But yes, so in the interest of keeping things short and sweet, I would just say if you're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very funny show. Watch it. It's on SBS On Demand. It's on there now. Yeah, so when I'm thinking about this show, it feels to me kind of like, and they're not really the same sort of shows. This is a bad comparison to make, but you'll see where I'm heading with this. All right. It feels like the Canadian, like, fat pizza. Oh, yeah, look, that's not actually an entirely bad comparison, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. even though it's much, much funnier. Yeah, it's not sort of as uh, culturally specific, although it's sort of very specific to the people of Letterkenny. Yes. But it's not like it's fat pizza, which is very much about ethnic stereotypes and this kind of thing. And it's made for those... Yeah. For those ethnic communities, really. Yeah, but both shows are very earthy, grounded comedies that are incredibly cheap and tacky in a lot of regards. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just talking very specifically to an underserved viewing audience that don't usually get shows like this. And if there was a bigger budget on it, I think that the appeal would be lost entirely. Totally. Oh, I absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah, It works yeah. entirely because it feels like it's a bunch of your mates who are making a TV show for you and like 15 other people. Yeah, and it's low stakes, you know, and that's yeah. one thing I always put a big tick next to on anything I'm watching. So, you know, there's, you know, obviously fighting over who... I mean, that's big stakes to Wayne to be the toughest man in Letterkenny. Oh, absolutely. But um, it's, it's stuff that you can still sleep soundly at night. Yeah. So. Jack Bauer's not that concerned about it. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, yeah, so great stuff. I reckon you should spend some more quality time with... With your um, uh, your partner and uh, watch a little bit of that. But here's the thing: so she's been watching it now for quite a number of months, 
And I have, like, I was kind of fine with that at the beginning, but then, because she just goes and keeps on watching things, and so I just fall behind, and I can't really keep up. So I kind of feel that I need to, like, come to it on my own terms, and then just, like, surprise her one day by her coming home, seeing me there, and I'm like, Sarah, what are you doing here? (laughs) And then I get outed as a Lady Kenny fan, and And then it becomes okay. And then you can watch the last, perhaps you can watch season nine together next year. Now, there's actually a spin-off series, which is an animated version of Letter Kenny, because in typical Canadian comedy style- Serious. Absolutely. Because Canadians, for some reason, when their shows have been going on for too long, they just make animated versions of them. We saw this with Trailer Park you Boys, did. the animated series. We saw this with Corner Gas, the animated series. Yes. And now we've got Little Kenny, which is, uh, I think it's like them as kids or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to cancel the rest of my week <laughs> to uh, catch up on that. That sounds fantastic. Sorry, kids. You can look after yourself. Look, and I think Papa's got some TV to watch. <laughs> the Trailer Park Boys was pretty... The animated one was patchy, but it was pretty good in the end. Like, I was... I, I thought it was a bit stupid when it started, but when they actually, you know, it worked really well when they didn't... Um, when they didn't reference the fact that it was an animated show, and, I, and I'd imagine Letter Kenny would do something similar, where they just play it pretty straight. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure where it is in Canada, but in the US, it is being made for Hulu. Like, they're actually funding it now, yeah. I believe. And in Australia, you've watched it on... SBS On Demand. Yeah, and it's on the proper telly on SBS Viceland. Mm, excellent. Yeah. Um, the SBN on de- SBS On Demand app is very, very stable and very good these days, too, I would like to add. <laughs> I haven't used it much late. I haven't used it for a little while because I was just watching online, but um, I was just using desktop by name. But yeah, it's throwing, it's throwing great these days to my TV. Um, yes, and there's heaps of stuff on there, obviously. Yes, nice to break away from Netflix every now and then. Now, Dan, you did uh, allude to this a little while ago. What have you been watching? Look, I've been watching the TV show High Fidelity. In- Okay, so here's how not to plan a career. One, split up with girlfriend. Two, ditch college. Three, go to work in struggling record shop. Four, become owner of said record shop and stay there for the rest of life. And five... Well, there is no five. Anyway, Kat and I, we never really matched. Number three on the list, Simon Miller... Chris, I don't know what your relationship with the movie High Fidelity is, but I'll talk about mine until you come in as the massive hater that I'm sure that you're about to be. So I saw High Fidelity as part of the Brisbane International Film Festival, like back when it, like just before it came out. So I think it played at the film festival like a month later, it was in cinemas. It spoke to me heavily as the 19-year-old I would have been at the time. Yeah, sure. Like, it was just kind of exactly what I was after. I used to hang around, like, occasionally, like, divey sort of record places. Like, you know, I was used to, like, trawling, because that's what people used to do. They'd go into CD stores and they'd, you know, oh, try to find the best, things. best of times. Yeah. Uh, the sort of people in it kind of seemed like people I kind of knew, but at the same time, like, I was quite a bit younger than the people in High Fidelity, who were all, like, mid to late 30s. Yeah. Is the way that I was sort of paced out reaching out. I read the book. And I really don't like the book because the message of the book is quite different to the TV right. show. Because the me- message of the book is it doesn't matter what you like. It's what you're actually like as a person that matters. Ugh. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> no. I think it's very much the things that you like really represent you as a person. Absolutely. And the movie never introduced that other idea. It just said, you know, you can still accept people for liking other stuff. But, you know, you can still judge them based on what they're into. Yes, and that's fair. Yeah. And the TV show that has uh, recently come about it kind of seems to lean a little bit more towards the book. But here's my problem with the TV show. Okay, first of all, if you've seen the movie High Fidelity, you know exactly what you're up for with this TV show. You've got a main character called Rob, 
they've gender flipped it here where it's a female Rob, just like in real life where you meet so many female Robs. <laughs> they've gender flipped it so it's no longer John Cusack. Instead, it is... Joan Cusack. I wish. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that would have been awesome. She's probably, probably on a little bit now to be believable as a record store. Here you've got Zoe Kravitz being daughter of Lenny Kravitz oh, and wow. also of Lisa Benet, who was in the original movie. Whoa. Yeah, she was one of the love interests of the male Rob. There you go. That's a yeah. nice... Uh, yeah. Very much so. And Good the, trivia. The premise of it is is that in the very beginning, you've got the main character, Rob's being broken up with by their sort of live-in, long-term partner, and he's in the movie and show. He, it's going to be hard to talk about the genders with the two. Uh, but in the movie, he is now going back through the top five breakups that he's ever had in his life and trying to work out what went wrong. So was he at fault? Was it all them? Uh, he's trying to work out what does it all mean. Sure. And the TV show does the exact same thing, except instead of being as maybe formatted as the movie is, you'd think episode by episode he's going to, well, she is going to go and, you know, try to rekindle. But they're trying to pace it out a bit more because it's 10 episodes. Mm. So the overall premise kind of gets lost a little bit in the episodic nature of the show. The problem I have with it is, is that if you came to it and the movie didn't exist, and this is all based purely on the book... It's probably a great TV show, and I'd be here just talking ecstatically about how fun the show is. But the thing is that the show isn't quite as fun as the movie is, and I don't think that the Zoe Kravitz like take on a Rob character really sort of has the same impact as John Cusack. Like he's playing a very specific type of a character, and John Cusack embodied that character in so many films. And, like it was just kind of like it was him. Yeah, it was like the natural progression of everything he'd been doing role wise up until that point, and it's kind of like he'd sort of reached the zenith, and it's like. I'm going to put a cap on this. This is all I have to say about this kind of dude. And the other thing as well is that it doesn't quite make sense to gender flip it as much as they have. Because if you go into any dodgy record store where it's staffed by people who want to stand around just talking about records all day, it's very rarely ever women. Like, it's always just like sad, miserable dudes. Well, it was the kind of, that was kind of the point I thought was that it was the this movie. very male, very ridiculous, very sad, um, contemptible. Uh, Absolutely, because the the movie and the book never held these people up as heroes. No. It was people who actually really needed to work on themselves and try to become better people. But when you watch this show, like you're kind of already sort of rooting for the women. You're thinking, well, they're fine. Like they're not really living life badly. Like occasionally they might sort of go down like the wrong path, but they don't seem as contemptible as the guys do. <laughs> the um, the, y- y- I'm going to take my opportunity now to talk about what I didn't like about the movie. Yeah, but no, like when the movie came out, I think I was very deep in that world. I was <laughs> um, I-, I took it a little bit personally, maybe, and I wasn't able to step back and look at it. Uh, as objectively as I probably would now, and I probably could watch it again, but I'm never going to. I, I think to enjoy it, you need to be someone who occasionally went into those stores and went through the records and CDs and other <laughs> merch in there, but then left and didn't stick around for the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I'd imagine you were there yeah, for the chat. I was probably there for a while. Um, I probably went in for the chat, and I still do, and I apologise to everybody <laughs> who, across Australia whose record stores I regularly go into and um, am one of those annoying customers. Um, but I also, um, you know, I was a massive John, I grew up as a John Cusack fan. He was probably like my little hero when I was watching, you know, the various, um, Better Off Dead and, um, the other Savage Steve Holland film, I can't remember the name of it. One uh, Crazy Summer, which is excellent. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, say anything, I'm, I'm miming holding up a boombox right now. 
So, you know, it was kind of like he, I had this very uh, teenage kind of affiliation with him and then to see him sort of turn into this, like, curmudgeon, it, it just was a bit... I didn't enjoy it. But it does, it's not a re- really... It's not really an honest reflection, reflection of but the like, movie. That was kind of the point of him being cast in that movie originally, which is yeah. that if you look at John Cusack from all those 80s movies, he's a guy who wore his heart on his sleeve. He was really just, like, out there just saying, look, this is who I am. Take me for me. He was kind of the anti-Ferris Bueller in a way. Yeah. But then you take to the next step, which is that, well, what's that guy like 25 <laughs> years later after he's been beaten down by life? And then you've got the Rob character. Like, uh, it was kind of like just that yeah. obvious progression for someone like that. Yeah, which is just upsetting. I don't. I guess maybe <laughs> I didn't want to see him go to that, to, that, to that kind of extent. But if you make it through the movie, by the end, he kind of gets his groove back a little bit and makes who he is work for him. Um, the uh, the other thing that's interesting about it is I really like um, you know I'm, I'm I'm quite a Jack Black fan, which is yeah. a, you know a lot of people find uh, disgusting about me. Um, I also think that High Fidelity is probably his best. I think it's like his most sort of pure Jack Blackness. I've got a great uh, Jack Black anecdote. You can f- feel free to edit out if you want to. But um, I was playing uh, with my kid in the park one time, and another kid came up to me, and this was when I was a little heavier, Dan, than I am now. <laughs> and the kid said to me, "Hey, you look just like Jack Black." And I said, "I've I've, I've had a lot of um, bad comparisons with celebrities before, and I've learned how to take it graciously." And I said, "Oh, thanks very much. Do you like him?" And he went, "No, he's terrible," and ran away. And uh, I just made me feel bad about myself. But I feel like that's a lot of people's. Um, <laughs> that's how a lot of people feel about Jack Black. But not me. I quite. He's pretty good. He's yeah, pretty funny. No, I like Jack. He's great on that episode of the Eric Andre show. Oh, my God. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. Anyway. So, anyway, in this, you've got this uh, actress who I don't... This is kind of like a breakout role. It's this actress, uh, Divine Joy Randolph. But she's just doing a blatant Jack Black impersonation in this, which is kind of fessed up to a little bit in some of the interviews that I've seen. But it just doesn't really feel like this show is being authentic to itself. It just kind of feels like it's coasting off the memories and some of the fun lines of the original movie and just integrating it into the show and then stretching it out across this episodic format doesn't really quite work for it. And as I said, like if this is a show that was a wholly original thing and the movie had never existed, or if I'd just never seen the movie, I think I'd probably react to the show in an entirely different way. But as a very pale imitation of what came before it, like it just doesn't hold up. What is the obsession with turning these old movies into TV shows? Is well, it, it's is because I, I watched the show. That- I watched the show because it was called High Fidelity. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I want to see what I've done with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's it, right. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, and that's on... So that's on Hulu at the moment in the US. I'm sure that in Australia we'll see it sometime soon-ish. Mm. Yeah, it's a high-profile show. And I think it's worth taking a look at. And the cast are kind of interesting and I kind of like people in it. And I don't want to be as down on the show as I am because the show's not explicitly doing anything wrong other than not being true to what it could be. Which is kind of in many ways like the John Cusack character in the original <laughs> film. Anyway, that's High Fidelity streaming now. Chris Yates, what have you been watching? Well, um, I have taken a dive into something that I would never have ever considered watching before. I didn't really know anything about. This sounds a lot like me, doesn't it, Dan? I have watched the first episode of Lock and Key. Oh, hi. You're... Sam. Sam Lesser? No, Ty. Right. He's at hockey practice. Actually, I came to see Mr. Locke. Sam. Come in. Everything all right? Must be freezing. I just need to talk. Uh, why don't you come by my office at school first thing Monday? I really can't wait. We can talk Monday, Sam. No, no, we can't. You're going to tell me everything I need to know. Sam, I 
need you to put that down. I don't think so. Well, I'm certainly not talking to you when you're holding a gun. Are you sure? You might want to reconsider that. So, Chris, Lock and Key, this is based on the Joe Hill comic book series. One of them books with pictures that you like. Have you read this comic series? I've not read this comic book series. I've been kind of curious about it, though, because while I haven't really read any Joe Hill books before, I've read a number of things from his father, Stephen King. (laughs) Right. Okay. Now we're talking. And then for him to have a second generation of horror storyteller come Mm. up. I think it'd just be kind of interesting to see what this Joe Hill fellow is doing. And much like the aforementioned Stephen King, Joe Hill's stuff is now being turned into TV shows and movies. Yeah, how interesting is that? So I mentioned earlier that I was watching this program the same night as I was watching Letterkenny, um, which I would gladly watch another four hours of. So it was slightly begrudging that I got into it. And as soon as it started, I kind of did some groans. and was like, oh, where is this going? Oh, yeah. God, what's Dan what made me watch now? I mean, I just suggested it last I night. I know, you didn't make me watch anything. Um and look, I was won over. I've, I've got to say, I was surprisingly won over. No one was more surprised than myself. I was going to chuck it. I was going to stop it after twenty minutes and try and pick it up again um, on my commute this morning. But I decided, no, no, I'll stick through. And then by the end, by the twenty minutes, I was desperate to see what happened in the end of that episode. At least, <laughs> this is a crazy show. It sort of flips between this very serious, incredibly serious, flat kind of um, what appears to be just like a regular drama to just absolute. Uh, over-the-top, cheesy kind of, not horror, but, um, well, I guess it is horror kind of concepts to a degree. But um, the the way that it flips between the two kind of worlds is really strange. The other thing it does really interestingly is uh, that it does... It's it's totally playing it against tropes at every kind of uh, while embracing them, but like it's a haunted house for basically it's a basically a haunted house story. But there are so many instances in the story over the first um, hour of the first episode where you really think, "Oh right, we're going to see this happen," and that just doesn't happen. And we're going to see this. Oh, this is going to unfold this way where this kid knows all this stuff and nobody will talk to you know nobody's going to believe him. And that's instantly you know sort of washed away um the the things where it looks like it's going to go off into some kind of be some kind of political statement get completely removed instantly so it's kind of like it's incredibly schizophrenic in the way it tells the story but that actually made it really sort of fun to watch after a little while um it remind i've read comparisons just when i was reading a little bit about this morning to like the umbrella academy and stranger things of course and like for for me anyway i definitely enjoyed it a lot more than either of those shows um well documented, at least with you, Dan, how I feel about Stranger Things, which is not fond. So I've been re-watching Stranger Things the last week. It's so much fun. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> um, I believe, yeah. And anyway, and this is so this thing's a lot of fun too. I know I've I kind of assumed you would have watched it by now, but I'm guessing that by the fact you haven't butted in yet that you haven't. No, so it's been on the list of things I've been kind of curious about checking out, but I just haven't had time in the last week to squeeze it in. Yeah, just had a few other viewing priorities like High Fidelity, the show I didn't really care for much. <laughs> the thing, I guess, if I was going to make some really broad comparisons to, like it really, uh, it had a lot of excellent um, mystery building stuff like Lost. Mm. Um, you would uh, where I, where I felt like I was going to be compelled to kind of it, it felt like it was going to cut off at any moment and I was going to be like ah oh, what's going to happen but they did give a little bit more than that interesting comment considering who the executive producer of this is tell me Dan that'd be Carlson Coos who ah. was also one of the runners of Lost so I think they've done that yeah they've done that kind of approach to like you don't really need to know you know it's probably better if you go in as blind as I did where you don't know anything at all about what's coming mm. um, the farcical stuff is kind of farcical and you'd have to sort of. You have to kind of suspend disbelief a little bit. The um, uh, 
but it but it does that very early on. Like there's a kind of a very serious scene right at the start, and then a supernatural element is introduced very early, um, wherein a man um, jabs himself in the chest with a key, and the um, and he explodes, and that sort of um, happens maybe two minutes into the show. So it's kind of like, all right, you've got this crazy thing happen. And then the next 15 minutes is very straight. Family relocating to this house after the death of their father. Well, it is a haunted house story, so you've and got then, to have that um, plot. Yeah, and then, uh, and then we, we're slowly kind of delivered this haunted house. Um, the first scene in the car is exactly the same as the scene in The Lost Boys. I noticed a lot of, like, there was a lot of callbacks to heaps of stuff from the 80s and from the 90s, which is cool and um, interesting and not, and not done as ham-fistedly and... Uh, over the top and there was heaps of like I mean, I mean interestingly reading that like there was obviously there's a lot of kind of visual references to The Shining I thought which I don't know how Stephen King would feel about that his, his kid doing that considering how much he <laughs> felt about that but anyway that's like there's no way you can pretend that's not happening and stuff like that it was pastiche whether, whether in a nice way whether that's the actual comic itself or maybe that's just the thing in a show yeah so and, it, and it's definitely a, you know it's definitely got that sort of pastiche feel whether that's more about um whether that's because of Stranger Things and other sort of uh, nostalgic um, programs that we've been watching and that have been really successful or whether it's just the sort of style of how it's come about, I don't know. But anyway, um, a good... And it was quite scary, you know? Like, I did get I did get quite spooked by it. By, um, I was sitting up late watching it by myself. Uh, I did think I saw a ghost in the tree next door, but it was just a plastic bag. But I went for a closer <laughs> look. Um, so, yeah, it did, it did uh, spook the way it should as well. Uh, it's kind of... It's it's uh, illuminating to know that it, uh, that there is some kind of I guess the idea of Stephen King if even if it's um, an offspring, um, obviously they're going to try and approach storytelling in a similar way and you can see that kind of happening which is cool so uh, yeah I guess I recommend it yeah if, if anyone cares no I'm very keen to give this one a look I it's trashy you know it's TV like we've been yeah. talking about quite a bit lately like it doesn't try to be something more than TV and it's and and I like that about it so one of the I think she's a co-showrunner on it who's working with Carlton Coos uh, and I didn't catch the name of the writer, but she was writing on The Haunting of Hill House, which yeah, is the other right. horror show, other Haunted House horror show from Netflix in the last few months. And so she was hired to be part of Lock and Key. But she was, I heard an interview with her on maybe the TV's top five podcast over the weekend. And she was just talking about like that sort of fact that she's already written a show kind of like this, but it's a lot brighter and a lot more sort of, I guess, energetic than Haunting of Hill House was. Yeah. And yeah. And um, it's just kind of got, like, I wouldn't say humor, but it's got yeah. a, it's got a personality about it. That's really interesting and that was kind of quite engaging um, once you got over the sort of weird schizophrenic way it jumps around between um, the style of program it is. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the two shows at the top of my list of things I need to check out on Netflix are The Haunting of Hill House and now Lock yeah, and Key. I've only seen a tiny bit of The Hill House one, but so I definitely would want to watch a little bit more of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, cool. I'm definitely going to give that a look and that's streaming now on Netflix. It is. Chris, I've got two things that are coming up over the next couple of days that I wanted to put on people's radar of Excellent. things that I've seen recently. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to talk about a movie. Mm-hmm. That's a motion picture. They mm-hmm. go for more than 60 minutes. I'm familiar with the content. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of a young ingenue named Harrison Ford? <laughs> yes, I have. He's, uh, he's going places. Yeah, he's, he's gone somewhere. So he's probably the biggest name actor in this. This is a movie called Call of the Wild. I came up here because I didn't want to be around anyone. And then I met Buck. He was a dog like no other. Now, Chris, do you read much of the works of Jack London? 
You'd be surprised to know I have not read many Jack London books in my time. No. So, Call of the Wild is probably the thing he's best known for. It's a story about a dog who's a very sort of rambunctious, Marley and Me style sort of nightmare for a household. It starts out, and it must have been sort of Civil War era, because it's a very southern household, and we see someone who I presume is a slave at the very beginning. Uh, very well dressed, he's like a, you know, works in the house, you know. That sort of level of slave, not all of them were afforded, like, the niceties that this guy seems to be wearing. Yes. But anyway, this uh, lady brings the dog home after he's been a bit of a nightmare out on the streets. And you see, like, there's a big party that they're going to be having at this household. The dog just destroys everything. He's a big, rambunctious guy who bumps into things and makes a lot of noise. And, you know, he's the sort of dog that you love, but... Boy, is he a handful. Beethoven? Yeah, it's pretty much the Beethoven story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, it's like this big, oversized dog. But they've made a very deliberate choice with this to not have a dog actor like the dog who played Beethoven, for example. And instead, they've got a CGI dog. Oh, my God. And at this point, the movie lost me entirely. Yeah. Because it just doesn't quite look real. And I've got this theory that when you're watching something on a big screen, you can generally believe a computer special effect more than when you watch it on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm really concerned how this dog's going to look if you see it on a tv size screen. Oof. But at the movies, like, the dog just looked fake. And I was like, why did you have to do this? As the story goes, the dog ends up being kidnapped by a guy who's... Because apparently there's a market to get dogs at this point. Right. I didn't know this was ever a thing, but I'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, so, this guy has taken the dog and shipped him overseas. Well, actually, more shipped him north, gone to the Yukon. <laughs> so, anyway, the dog, he's he's been taken away from his master, played by Bradley Whitford in two scenes. He's taken away from the world that he knows to suddenly find himself in the very cold confines of the Yukon. He's just shoved into like this pen with all these other dogs and he's, you know, essentially been badly treated by the people that have kidnapped him. So his life is not going for the best. But this guy comes in, he gets these dogs and him and his uh, wife or partner, the two of them run a mail service going up and down the Yukon. And so they need sledding dogs. So he's already got a whole bunch of dogs for this. He needed just one more. And so he's taking this big sort of ungainly dog who lives by his own rules and just, you know, does whatever. I'll take the fake dog. Yeah, take the fake dog. But all of these dogs are fake. <laughs> right. Yeah, so this dog has to join a sled. And for the first time ever, the dog actually has to come to terms with the fact that he's part of a pack. And so for like 15, 20 minutes, you're watching this dog like deal with him finding his place within the pack, him reasserting like his are dominance the other dogs within the fake? pack. They're all fake. Oh my God. Every dog is fake. But at this point, I began to realize why it is that you had a CG dog, because there is a lot of acting required from these dogs, and they're putting them in these really perilous situations. Yeah, sure. Okay, so, like, the dogs are doing some, like, just phenomenally physical work out there, like, dragging sleds along and stuff. You couldn't do that with a real dog. Sure. So, I began to realize why they did it. But it was at this point that I actually started to lose myself a little bit in the world of this film. And I got totally, like, taken in by this thing. <laughs> so, this dog, uh, he's, like, part of the sledding organization for a while. He ends up becoming the dominant pack member of that. But then he finds himself, uh, like, when the guy who owns the sled, suddenly they're put off by Western Union. Mm-hmm. That's a male company. Yeah. Uh, so, there's no sledding anymore. Right. So, he's, like, put in a pen with the other dogs. And that's taken over by a guy who needs a sled to go and do some gold... Um, Gold mining? What do you right. do when you're, like, searching for gold? You're fossicking. A, we'll say fossicking. That's not right either. <laughs> but anyway, they go... Mining. You know, they go up north. Well, he's not really a miner. He wants to go to where there's just, like, gold deposits and, like, riverbeds I'm and stuff. I'm pretty sure that's called fossicking. Anyway. Yeah, may well be. 
So anyway, I'm that, just trying to talk about anything other than this damn dog movie at this point. So that guy, he's like, he's a bad dude, right. but there's been this constant presence of the Harrison Ford character who's got some sort of emotional damage taking place. Mm. And he's like, he's a Harrison Ford type. So he's like an old, like crotchety guy at this point. And he's taken a liking to this dog. But like this other guy's got him, but Harrison Ford doesn't like the way this dude's treating the dog that he's got an attachment to. So he goes up north to try to rescue the dog. Anyway, I'm not going to say what happens there because there's not a lot more that happens within the movie, but it's a really fascinating film to watch with the idea of, uh, sure, you can computer animate a dog, but should you? (laughs) And the answer, I think, is yes. (laughs) Now, Chris, I'm actually going to recommend that you see this movie. Right. Because it's not the sort of movie I'm saying, Chris Yates, go to the movies right now to watch by yourself. But you've got two young children. Yeah. And I sat there for the first few minutes going, you know what? All the kids that I can see in this theater right now, because I went to a media screen, it was like a family sort of a screening. And so there was a what lot a of nightmare. Uh, well, depending where you were sitting in the <laughs> audience, because I heard some criticisms <laughs> from some other like, critics. Uh, but where I was sitting, everyone was kind of, you know, reasonably cool. But I, like, started hearing all this giggling coming from some of the kids in the audience, and they were really into it. Yeah, yeah, right. And, like, I was really into it. And I was thinking, because it sort of seemed like this sort of film where, like, I think a dad could go in there and go, oh, my God, I'm having an emotional bond with this movie. (laughs) And meanwhile, the kids are bored out of their minds. But I think there's so much action and energy to this film that the kids were really into it, and they found it funny, and they found it a real sort of lively sort of jaunt. But it's actually a really fascinating story about a dog finding its place in the world and finding the place that's actually home to where the dog should be as opposed to where it was at the beginning. Yeah. It's good. Um, Who does the voice of the dog? Nobody. (laughs) The dog does not talk. Well, I'm out. There is no musical moment where the dog, like, walks off to the edge and starts singing at the moon and the moon doesn't sing back at it. Oh, well, never mind. I'll still give it a a go, Dan. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, this could have been a real dog. But thankfully, they didn't have a real <laughs> They dog. didn't Milo and Otis their way out of this one. No. There would have been a few dogs in there. Oh, that's great. We, we talk right. about Milo and Otis a bit on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe we should start a spinoff. Maybe. Um, also, I don't want to do no, that because no, that movie is awful for <laughs> all sorts of humanity. We should not be glorifying it in any way or even mentioning it, even reminding people it exists, <laughs> as opposed to Call of the Wild. So, no, Call of the Wild, surprising because I went in there thinking this is not going to be a good movie. <laughs> 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, what have I done? But I was totally won over by this film. It's very good. How many Harrison Ford movies are left, you reckon? How many more has he got in him? Well, he's about to go and film a Indiana Jones 5. No, no, nuts. Yeah, so hopefully not that. So if we can <laughs> say that Call of the Wild was the last one he's made. Yeah, that was, that's kind of what I was, where I was going with, I think. I don't want to wish ill upon Harrison Ford, but also... <laughs> but also, if that was the last one. I've seen the same people get excited about um, an, another Indiana Jones film who have clearly forgotten their own reactions to the last three, <laughs> to the last two Indiana Jones films. There have been four Indiana Jones <laughs> films already, two of them good. Yeah, that's right. So mm. it's funny that people would think for some reason that's going to get any better in today's day and age. Anyway. Yeah, so anyway, that comes out this week. So it comes Great. out this coming Thursday. Now, a th- TV show that comes out on Friday this week is a new Amazon Prime video show called Hunters. Wake the fuck up! Hello. What is this? Who are your people? Those are some very deep existential questions for a fucking Nazi. So, this is a show starring Al Pacino. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a bit of a big deal. He's good. 
Uh, you've also got uh, Logan Lerman, who's a young actor who I know from a show called Jack and Bobby. But Chris, you'd be well aware from him from his uh, Maze Runner movies. Mm. I think he was in a Maze Runner. He was in one of those sort of YA right, yeah. Yeah, things. But anyway, Logan Lerman, I quite liked him when I saw him as like a 11-year-old kid. Like he had like some acting chops to him. I can't say I've really encountered him since then. Sure. But he's cropped up in this and he's like a young man. Uh, the premise of this is... It's a young guy. He's in his early 20s. He's like a college-aged kid. This is set in the 70s. He's doing some weed dealing to bring a bit of money into the household. Good on him. He lives with his grandmother. He's living... It's kind of like a Peter Parker sort of a lifestyle if Uncle Ben had moved on like a year prior. Sure. And Peter Parker hadn't gotten the Spider-Man abilities. <laughs> so he's kind of living that life. And I think the show's very deliberately that as well. Yeah, right. So he's kind of living that sort of a life. Uh, but then he comes down the stairs one night because he hears some like business going on downstairs. And he sees a thief in the lounge room like shoot the grandmother dead. Damn. Anyway, so he just, he's like upset because he hasn't done anything either. Like he's kind of freaked out and it happens so quickly he can't really react to it. Yeah. But he feels guilty about it and feels he should have done something to stop this uh, from happening. Anyway, the further he goes into it, he finds out that his grandmother is involved with a sort of secret cabal of Nazi hunters wow. who are going around the boroughs of New York City murdering Nazis who are hiding in plain sight. So every week of this, they're going to find some Nazis and they're going to go and murder them. Are these Nazis from the actual war or like, are these neo-Nazis? Because it's, it's in the 70s. It's like older Nazis who are yeah, like in wow. their 70s who have just kind well, of yeah, you know, right. been living in, you know, just mainstream society for the last 20, 30 years. Fantastic. Yeah. But anyway... We were talking earlier about Lock and Key, which is a graphic novel series, which is now being adapted into a thing. This feels like it should have been a Vertigo comic from like the early 2000s that adapted into being a TV show. It's not. This is a wholly original thing. (laughs) Yeah, right. But it absolutely has that vibe to it. And I'm totally in on this show. It's like, I was totally in on the show and the show started and it was like living up to expectation. And then it kind of lost me for about 15 minutes, but I'm glad I stuck with it because by the time that the show actually reveals what it's doing, which is secret Nazi hunters everywhere, <laughs> I was like, this is fantastic. I'm very much in. So you didn't know that going into it? That's what you're I, getting I into? I did know, but degree. when the show really sort of showed yeah, how yeah. it was doing it and whatnot. But the problem, I think, for the pilot episode, and this is why, and I haven't seen past that, but I, I think it's going to be fine. The problem with the pilot is it's a 90-minute pilot, and I kind of feel like it sort of stretches itself a little bit too much. Yeah. Like, it just kind of luxuriates a little bit too much in the world rather than just being a compact sort of, you know, this is the premise, let's get into the series, which is what I think the show probably needed. Mm. But it's good. Like, I think if you're kind of intrigued by that as an idea, and you want to see Al Pacino in a TV <laughs> show as a Nazi hunter. Of course I do. Yeah, who doesn't? Who the hell doesn't? Yeah. Surely it's going to be the biggest show of the year. So yeah, Hunters, uh, streaming from this Friday on Amazon Prime Video. I just wanted to mention a couple of things that I caught up on after our conversation last week and yes, last sir. week's episode. I watched the first two episodes of Mythic Quest Ravens Banquet. Banquet. Um, well, the pilot sort of had me one over, and I really liked the um, Australian actor and the, uh, of course, Rob um, McElhoney. Um, <laughs> geez, it was a, it's a pretty hard ride. It's pretty dull. Can I recommend do the third episode okay. and then decide there if you want to tap out? Because I, w- I actually struggled with the first two and it was episode three where I thought, no, there's actually something to the show. Okay, cool. I will give it another three. go. And the other thing I wanted to mention quickly. Like, if you're not digging in after three, like, don't continue. Yeah, right. But I think that's the make or break one. Um, like, the first one was okay. It was fun. Like, it was a little bit funny and I realized yeah. there was lots of setup, but the second one just didn't really take it anywhere. Um, but the thing that I did, I watched the last episode of Cheer as I talked very fondly of last week and I just can't tell you how amazing the finale episode of that was it blew me away um it does a little bit of kind of 
post. Uh, there's a little bit at the end of sort of, catch, you know, in- obviously introducing the ideas that are going to come into the second season, which I'm sure has probably already been greenlit as they do with these Netflix shows. Um, but the actual kind of climax and everything and the way they built up the story in the end was phenomenal. And almost, I would say, something that I haven't seen paced so well and like produced in such a way. Um, there's a couple of little twists which I won't reveal, but I obviously had a big impact on how it kind of got made and how the last episode happened. And it was just, it was nail-biting, it was excruciating, it was amazing. So <laughs> highly recommend Chia once again. Excruciating in the best ways. In the best possible way, yes. Yeah. So, Chris, we've talked about a bunch of things this week. It's true. Very quickly, Letter Kenny, people can see that. On SBS uh, On Demand or on Viceland. Or oh, SBS Viceland as SBS well in Australia. Viceland and Hulu in America. That's right. Uh, we also talked about um, Hunters, which is on Amazon Prime Video. Call of the Wild, which is in cinemas right now. Uh, what else did I talk Lock about? Lock and Key on um, Netflix. Netflix. And you did uh, that... Um, <laughs> geez, it was compelling. That, uh, compelling as it was, I've already forgotten, Dan. What the heck have I talked about in this? No, that's uh, everything, isn't it? And also High Fidelity, which is streaming now on Hulu <laughs> oh, in the yeah. US. High Fidelity. Uh Big week. So it's a big week every week for TV at the moment, isn't it? It still doesn't show, seem to show any signs of showing up, slowing up. Slowing up? Slowing up while showing up. The hardest thing I'm finding is to actually catch up on all the shows that I've watched the start of in order to have something new to talk about on here. To actually finish a season is proving quite difficult to be at the moment, but I'm getting there. That is the challenge of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but that's a good sign. When there's too much good stuff to watch, that's a very good problem to have. Hmm. Chris, I don't have problems. I just have TV solutions. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate all your TV solutions, and I look forward to some more next week. Yeah, so take two in the morning, and should clear right up. <laughs> yep. Yep. Anyway, folks, this has been Dan Barrett, TV doctor, Chris Yates. TV's uh, enthusiast. <laughs> uh, and this is the medic ward that was Always Be Watching. Uh, we'll be back next week. If you want more Always Be Watching, check out the website and sign up to our newsletter, alwaysbewatching.com. Uh, there's social medias. There's a Facebook. There's a Twitter account. You know, we're all over the place. You can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barrett. You can find Chris Yates walking the streets, muttering to himself. <laughs>